0: Number one, they give us access to our nutrients. There are many nutrients that we would not be able to get from our diet without these gut microbes. All right. What's more important than that? Like that's literally life. Number two, they're connected to our immune system. We'll talk about that more in a moment. 70% of our immune system lives in our gut and these microbes are deeply intertwined with that 70% of our immune system. Number three, they're connected to our metabolism. All right. So to the point that your weight balance is not just what you eat. Your weight balance is what you eat and how it interacts with your gut microbes. Number four, they're connected to our hormones. They regulate hormonal balance in both men and women. There's a number of ways that they do this. Number five, they're connected to our brain. Our brain's best friend is our gut. They're on the phone 24 hours a day talking to each other.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. I am super excited for today's episode as we are going to talk all about the gut microbiome and how to strengthen your immune system right now. And clearly with everything going on right now with COVID-19, this episode couldn't come out at a better time. And I have had the opportunity to to talk to one of the best there is on this topic. And today's guest is Dr. Will Bulzewicz, commonly known as Dr. B. He is an award winning gastroenterologist and the author of the New York Times best selling book, Fiber Fueled. Many might not know this, but our gut is connected to so many parts of our body, including our brain. And it's incredibly fascinating, as is the fact that 70%, again, 70% of our immune system is in our gut as well, which is why we should really be paying attention to our gut health now more than ever as COVID-19 impacts so many people with underlying health issues and weaker immune systems. In this episode, Dr. B will thoroughly explain everything you need to know about the gut microbiome, how our gut health impacts things such as COVID-19, our immune system and mental health. He will also explain the secret To how you can discover how healthy your gut is in the comfort of your home and his tip for this will cost you absolutely nothing other than some time finally he will also provide the blueprint of what you can do right now to optimize your gut health and strengthen your immune system plus so much more so without further ado let's welcome dr b to the adversity advantage podcast dr b thank you so much for coming on the show Doug, you're the man. I'm
0: happy to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. You and I were just talking off air for a minute and I could feel the energy like starting to come. And so I was like, you know what? Hit that record button. Let's get this party started
1: and let's talk to these people, man. Yeah, let's get this party rocking and rolling. And it's funny. I was like trying to think, well, where do I want to start with you? And and obviously one of the big things I want to chat with you about is you've been saying that now more than ever, our gut health and the microbiome is more important to pay attention to because of the the parallels with people who have COVID-19. And I've heard you say that a lot of people that you've seen who've had COVID, there's been some gut issues linked to that, right? But I think before we get into all of that, I want to give the audience some perspective on where you came from, because I think you have a really fascinating story in that you didn't just go to school, become a GI doctor, and that was it. You kind of were going the, a different route. You wanted to become a childhood psychologist, and then you end up having your own health issues, lose a bunch of weight, clean up your diet, and then that inspired you to do what you do now. So kind of walk the audience through like where you were when you were feeling at your low point, and then how you got into the field that you're in now. Sure.
0: So just as a matter of background, you kind of touched on this a little bit. I knew when I was a teenager that I wanted to be a doctor and the motivation for me was never like oh i heard doctors make a lot of money it was always like hold up i could literally work to actually help people on a daily basis that to me was extremely appealing and i have always been i still am to some degree uh, an idealist and so as a teenager my idea what i really wanted to do was i wanted to help kids and so but particularly like adolescent kids teenage kids because i feel like they're overlooked and they deserve more attention and help in this transformative period in their life and so i initially set on a path to go to medical school so that i could become a, ch- a child psychiatrist and I have some interesting stories from a camp that i worked in up in new hampshire for a summer working with kids from the inner cities of hartford connecticut and boston but anyway on my path I was at Georgetown for med school and I ended up falling in love with gastroenterology, which sounds weird. I'm a butt doctor, (laughs) and my mother-in-law was very skeptical of me. The first time she met like, hold up, you're bringing home a proctologist. Right. But I fell in love with gastroenterology because there's so many different organ systems, the esophagus, stomach, the pancreas, the liver, the small intestine, the colon, all of it. And I'm the expert on all of those topics. But I didn't fall in love with it because of nutrition. In fact, I didn't really have any interest in nutrition. And I wasn't taught nutrition in medical school. We had like a two-week class. It was like literally two weeks. And this was back in 2003, to put it into perspective for people. And it was not practical nutrition. Like, hey, how do you talk to a real person, like a patient, about what to eat? It was, hey, here's these weird symptoms. They got a rash. And they're having an abnormal heart rhythm and blah, blah, blah. So what is the diagnosis? And it's like, you're describing something you're literally not gonna see in your entire career. That was nutrition in medical school. So I, I didn't really have much of an interest in it, but I came to a place where I was about 30 years old. And professionally, things were actually going incredibly well for me. I was the chief medical resident at Northwestern in Chicago, one of the top internal medicine residencies in the country. I won the highest award in my residency class i had published eight papers in in gastroenterology journals already at that point wow and yet i was miserable i um, was like completely miserable i hated myself and for me what i didn't understand was that the diet that i was raised on which was a very classic 1980s diet hot dogs, Doritos, Kool-Aid, bagel bites. I mean, I could go down the line and talk about all the junk food that was like literally, that was the backbone of my diet. And I'd gained 50 pounds. I had low energy. I had super low self-esteem. I had high blood pressure. And I'm like, I'm 30 years old. What the hell? It's not supposed to be this way. And I was an athlete in high school. So for me, this was all very strange to like sit there and look in the mirror and you're 240 pounds And your brothers make comments every time they see you at the holidays. So I tried to do what I think most guys do, which was to exercise my way out of it. I sort of embraced the idea that if you exercise enough, you can eat whatever the heck you want. And so that's what I did. So I was working out six days a week and I would do 45 minutes of free weights. And then I would either jump on the treadmill for anywhere between a five and a 10 K or I would jump in the pool and do 100 laps. And I couldn't I I mean, I could build muscle. I could build endurance. I couldn't lose the gut So what ended up happening actually was it's kind of interesting. I met my wife But at this point we were just dating And she ate completely differently than me. We would go to like this beautiful steakhouse And she would order a bunch of sides And no meat and I'd never been around someone who was vegan or vegetarian. I wasn't really sure what to make of this. Like, what the heck are you doing? But what I did notice is that she was she was radiant. She was happy. She had control over her weight. And she wasn't really putting the effort into it that I was. And so it opened up my mind.
1: How was she working out?
0: For her, working out was like literally going for a jog. I mean, it wasn't like me slapping plates on weights and like, screaming and grunting and she wasn't doing anything like that. She was minimal workout, minimal
1: exercise, but just really clean diet. And that's incredible. So then after that, you meet your wife, you see how she eats. You're like, wow, she's eating more vegetables. She's not eating meat. She's really paying attention. It seemed like to her digestion that did that really inspire you to take a different look and say, you know what, like I'm really going to level up and see how I can fix these issues that are going on in my own gut. So I can finally lose the weight. Yeah, it wasn't
0: a come to Jesus moment. It right. wasn't like this one day where I made this radical change. Instead, it was more a curiosity, to be honest with you. And I followed that thread. Mm. And I started making small changes. I would, instead of going to Hardee's, Hardee's has this, I think they still have it, actually. They have a $5 deal where you get a double cheeseburger, fries, you get a beverage, you get a dessert. It's like literally 2,000 calories for 5 bucks, which is quite impressive. But you can yeah. get that many calories for such yeah, a yeah, So, and I, instead of doing that, I would go home and I would make a big, big smoothie, like a big one and drink that. And what I noticed is that I instantly felt better. I didn't have the hangover after meals. I was energized. My skin started to change. My hair got thicker. Next thing I know, the weight is melting off my body. I hadn't changed anything else. Wow. And and my self-esteem surged. My blood pressure dropped. I mean, basically all the things that I wanted to happen and I couldn't figure out how to make it happen. They started to happen. And so it meant so much to me and it inspired me so much that I became obsessed with digging into the medical literature because I was like, why didn't I hear anything about this? I'm a doctor. And I was shocked to find thousands of studies. And then because I became a believer because of the way that it transformed my own life, I felt that my patients deserved it too. So I brought into my clinic and similar amazing transformative results. So 2016 comes and I just felt compelled to share the story. And I felt like it was not enough. I, I already had a reputation within my community for providing this type of care. And I felt like it just wasn't enough. Like I felt like it can't just be a Charleston, South Carolina thing. People need to hear this. And so I created my Instagram account, which I really didn't have any expectations for. I mean, when I had a thousand followers, I remember my wife and I basically popped a bottle of champagne. It was like, whoa, I got a thousand followers. It's crazy. So anyway, I started that and one thing led to another and my book Fiber Fields came out in May. It's a New York Times bestseller. We're in, we're closing in on a hundred thousand copies and we're only uh, a little over six months since the book came out. And now I'm here
1: recording with you, my friend. It's great. What an incredible story. And the thing that I really love is a few. One is how you're this guy, you're a GI doctor and your gut was a mess. Right. And then and instead of turning your cheek and being like, no, I know what I'm talking about. Like I'm a GI doctor. I know better than everyone. You're like, you know what? Like maybe it, maybe there is something to this. Maybe I'm going to dig a little bit deeper to not only help myself, but to now help you know so many people And the second thing that really sticks out to me that I think everybody can relate to is the impact that that it had on your mental health. And everybody now is struggling mentally. Everybody's overstressed, anxious. I'm sure people have, many have some bouts of depression, low self-esteem, uncertainty and confidence. And the microbiome is a hot topic right now, the gut microbiome. For many reasons, we've heard it with the correlations it has with COVID-19, our immune system, and stress. So talk about what the microbiome is, I guess, if you will, in layman's terms, so people can understand when they hear this word, because it is kind of a buzzword now, I feel like it's kind of all over the place, if you will, that they can get a better understanding of what it means and and simplify it so that they kind of know like, wow, I have more control over this than I think I do. And why stress? plays such an impact why stress and the microbiome kind of go hand in hand with each other sure
0: let's start by sort of bending your reality for the listeners at home let's let's talk about this in a way that maybe transforms the way that you think about yourself yeah which is that we are these big strong powerful humans right but actually we are not alone covering us from the top of our head to the tip of our toes are these invisible microbes You can't literally, you can't see them because you would need a microscope. But if you were to hold up your thumb and take a look at it, I would encourage all you listeners at home to do this. Take a look at your thumb and literally right there on your thumb are as many microbes as you will find people in the UK. All right, literally right there on your thumb. And the number is absurd of microbes. They are concentrated inside our colon. That is their number one location. So when you hear people talk about the gut microbiome, they're talking about these microbes and everything that they're capable of doing for us that live inside of your large intestine. All right, the number of microbes is 39 trillion. 39 trillion, that is a number that is 100 times the number of stars in the sky. You have to bundle up all of the stars in the sky, multiply by 100, and insert that into your colon. That's how many microbes you have living inside you right now. And these microbes, they're not just like there, <laughs> they're not just passively there. They are there with a purpose. They have been there since the beginning of human history. There's never been a sterile human. We've always had a relationship with these microbes. And through human evolution, we evolved together. We always talk about human evolution as if we're these solitary creatures that are going through that process. But no, we're going through that process in conjunction with our friends, these invisible microbes. They helped us to survive. They helped us to grow. They helped us to get stronger. They got us through tough times. And because of that, we grew to trust them. We grew to trust them with Really, really important parts of human bodily function to the point that I don't believe that you can be healthy without a healthy microbiome. I think that you really truly need a healthy microbiome to be healthy. And to walk through some of the examples number one, they give us access to our nutrients. There are many nutrients that we would not be able to get from our diet without these gut microbes. All right, what's more important than that? Like, that's literally life. Number two, They're connected to our immune system. We'll talk about that more in a moment. 70% of our immune system lives in our gut and these microbes are deeply intertwined with that 70% of our immune system. Number three, they're connected to our metabolism. All right, so to the point that your weight balance is not just what you eat, your weight balance is what you eat and how it interacts with your gut microbes. Number four, they're connected to our hormones. They regulate hormonal balance in both men and women. There's a number of ways that they do this. Number five, they're connected to our brain. Our brain's best friend is our gut. They're on the phone 24 hours a day talking to each other. And that's the part that's particularly relevant for what you're asking me about, Doug, which is anxiety, depression, mood disturbance, things of that variety. How does that connect to our gut? So let's talk about that for a moment. Our our gut is able to communicate to our brain through a number of different ways. You can think of it as smoke signals versus the telephone versus the internet. There's a couple different ways that they talk. One is through the vagus nerve, which is an information superhighway that connects your brain and your gut. It's a two-way highway, by the way. It goes both ways. The second is through neurotransmitters serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, and their precursors, 90% of serotonin, which is the happy hormone, which controls our mood, controls our energy levels, controls our ability to focus. 90% of serotonin is not produced in the brain. It's produced in the gut. Only 10% of serotonin is produced in the brain. 50% of dopamine. Dopamine regulates our reward center. When we feel good about accomplishing a task that's dopamine boom dopamine 50 percent of dopamine is produced in the gut there are over 30 neurotransmitters produced in the gut doug when i graduated med school if you asked me dr b how many neurotransmitters exist in the body i would have told you like eight there's 30 produced in the gut alone and the last thing yeah it's insane and then the last thing is that they beyond these neurotransmitters the gut produces bioactive molecules which can jump into the bloodstream, travel throughout the body, including to the brain, cross the blood-brain barrier, and have an effect. And an example of that are short-chain fatty acids, which we will surely be coming back to during this talk, short-chain fatty acids, which are produced when your gut microbes break down fiber for you. So the bottom line is that the gut and the brain are deeply intertwined, and a healthy gut is
1: the path to a healthy brain, including our mood. It's mind blowing, man. And it's funny. I just, a few days ago, I interviewed a neuroscientist and in one of her books, she was talking about the effect of stress on, I don't quote me on this. I think it was on digestion. And it was saying that if you're stressed out within a certain amount of time of eating a meal, there's studies that have proven that it'll add like a hundred calories to whatever you're eating, just based on your body's, I think, inability to properly digest the food. So what I really enjoy is hearing it from like the horse's mouth, if you will, like where the actual science comes from and it's not, you're not somebody who is peddling anything other than just your information and experience that you've learned through the years to help other people. And so I want to dive more into the, the gut and the microbiome because you talk about stress and we know that stress has a massive impact on our immune system, right? And if you're saying that 70% of our immune system is in our gut, and I've heard you say that one of the things that um, you're seeing a lot of with people who have COVID-19 is that they're having some issues with their gut, right? I've heard you say that. Is it because of their weak immune system? Is it something else? Like, What is the, the correlation between the two? All right. So
0: first of all, with regard to stress and the gut microbiome, there is a connection. And this is an example of the way that the brain gut connection works that we were just talking about. When you experience stress, your brain will release a hormone called CRF, corticotropin-releasing hormone. And corticotropin-releasing hormone, the reason why we have this stress response is because, Doug, if you and I were cavemen, Okay, (laughs) which would be kind of cool if we were cavemen and a saber-toothed tiger comes charging after us, we are more likely to survive if we have the ability to basically get charged up, have an epinephrine surge, put the energy into our muscles where we need it, reduce the energy in our gut, and go and climb a tree and get away from that tiger, right? And so we developed this ability during times of stress where we can get charged up and protect ourselves. It's a defense mechanism. But the problem is that there's this idea, which I find to be quite fascinating. And I mentioned in my book called antagonistic pleiotropy. And basically what this means, antagonistic pleiotropy is that the things that we evolved to have during say the paleolithic times, the things that we evolved to have that helped us to survive back then can actually be harming us today in 2020 because life has changed. And now here we are, and we have stress coming at us 24 hours a day. I'll just speak for myself. The internet stresses me out. The news cycle stresses me out. The way that people are covering all of these stories that are unfolding, like it drives me insane how I can't get With confidence, a straight story from either side. Everyone is putting their spin on it. Everyone has an agenda, right? For me, I'll just be honest. It's gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, cool. I'm taking. I'm going to take a break. Not going to check the news for a couple weeks. So, and that kind of persistent, perpetual stress that we're experiencing, layer on top COVID nineteen, layer on top financial insecurity that's occurring right now, layer on top the way that this is affecting you personally your family, the people that you care about. All of those things are basically feeding into this pathway where CRF gets released from the brain, travels through the bloodstream, and then it basically alters the gut microbiome and it alters the gut microbiome in a way that is less advantageous. It actually induces dysbiosis. It changes it. And this is the reason why Doug, that you mentioned that in times of stress, you can eat the same meal and have 100 more calories that you actually get access to. That's because your gut microbiome has changed and it's going into protection mode where it's like, okay, we gotta make sure we get enough calories, right? Because it's stressful time. So the bottom line is that there's this connection between the gut and the brain and it can alter the bacterial balance and it can cause dysbiosis. Dysbiosis is a loss of balance within the gut less good guys, more bad guys. Now let's talk about how that affects COVID-19 and everything that's happening out there. All right. Now I would never, I would never say go expose yourself to the virus. That's crazy. I would never say that. I am a believer that we need to protect ourselves and take the appropriate intelligent measures to protect ourselves from this virus. But at the same time, if you were going into war, when not you put on your armor? Wouldn't you want to protect yourself? You wouldn't just go out there with no armor on, right? And that's where we are today. We need to build our shield. And our immune system can be our shield. And what we're seeing out there, Doug, is that the people that are the most vulnerable to this virus are the people who have metabolic issues. People who, who are obese, diabetes, high blood pressure, history of heart disease. These are the people who have the highest risk with regard to COVID-19. Guess what? Everything that I just mentioned, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, they've all been connected to dysbiosis, damage to the gut. Our immune system is connected to dysbiosis, damage to the gut. And if we want to optimize our immune system and make it work the way that it's supposed to, the way that we do that is by optimizing our microbiome because they're completely intertwined. You, you cannot separate the two. They're talking to each other constantly. And if you damage the gut, you are damaging the immune system. That's the way that it works. But if you can improve the gut, you can improve the immune system, which is very helpful these days.
1: Yeah, you hit on so many good points. And I think what I'm hearing you say is, if you will, I mean the gut's kind of like the quarterback, right? Of everything. And it affects, it's the one calling the plays and it affects things like the immune system, stress, metabolism, the brain. I mean, really everything, right? I mean, I think that's why we hear a lot that it's called our second brain, if you will. And so what I'm hearing you say is that if you really want to be proactive and do what you can to put your shield up to protect yourself from getting COVID-19, or if you do get it, that you're more likely to survive, you have to strengthen your gut and your immune system. So, what are some things that people can do to put that shield up, put that armor on, and um, implement some of these things that you talk about so that they can live in less fear um, and uh, more and less uncertainty about the virus? If you're anything like me, you're always looking to incorporate things into your life that improve your sleep. Calm your anxiety and manage your stress. I found a product that helps me with all three. I've been using the gummies from Soul CBD. Each gummy contains 10 milligrams of calming CBD. They are THC free, organically farmed, gluten free, and made with the best ingredients. I like to call them my calm candy as it will leave you feeling more relaxed, focused, and you will sleep like a baby. I like to take them at various times, including before a run, when I'm feeling discomfort, before bed or any other time I'm looking to create a safe space for my mind. Plus, these sweet CBD edible treats are easy to travel with, so you can take them out whenever you need to throughout the day. So go to www.mysoulcbd.com to learn more about the calming benefits of these CBD gummies from Seoul. Again, it's www.mysoulcbd.com, and when you enter in the promo code DOUG at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting is that the concepts that I teach in my book in fiber fuels are literally the same thing because this is not, it's not about taking some absurd dose of a supplement and think that you just changed the likelihood of you getting sick from this virus. All right. Supplements are meant to enhance what you do from a diet and lifestyle perspective, but you can't take a C minus gut and supplement it all the way to an A+. I mean, gosh, wouldn't that be easy if we could just take a bunch of powders and pills and change our microbiome from a C- to an A+. It's not possible. And the reason why is because you're eating three pounds of food per day, a thousand pounds of food per year, 80,000 pounds of food during your lifetime. And that 80,000 pounds of food that you eat is the number one driver of your microbiome. And so, what I'm saying is, actually, it's a, it's a message of of opportunity, of empowerment that you have control over these gut microbes. You get to choose who's in charge inside this community that lives in your colon. All right, you get to choose, but the the way that you choose are through the dietary choices that you make. And so, in my book, in Fiber Field, I describe an approach to how to optimize your gut microbiome and that approach of how to optimize your gut microbiome is the same approach that we should be employing when we need it the most, which is right now. So it's not, there's no special, like there's no special thing. It's instead we get back to the fundamentals and we do them really, really well. So what can we do? All right, let me just like jump right into If I can only give one tip to the people who listen here today, let's go there. There is a special connection between our gut microbes and fiber. The reason why is because fiber, which we have traditionally thought of as going in the mouth and then launching out the derriere, fiber passes through the small intestine unchanged because humans don't have the enzymes to break it down. But guess who does? your gut microbiome. Your gut microbiome breaks down fiber. This is their food. This is their preferred food. When you feed them fiber, you are growing them. You are enhancing them. You are making them stronger. You are making them more capable of doing their their job. And then they want to turn around and reward you for feeding them. Thank you, sir. Let me give you this. And what they do is they take this fiber And they do some magic it's like some ninja stuff and all of a sudden what you have are short chain fatty acids they transform the fiber into short chain fatty acids like butyrate acetate and propionate and doug these are literally the most healing anti-inflammatory molecules that i have found in the entire body and the way that we get them is by consuming fiber And the concerning part is that the average American is just not doing it. The average American is getting 15 grams of fiber per day. And 97% of Americans are not even getting the minimal daily recommended amount of fiber. So the key here is we need to get fiber to these microbes. We need to feed our microbiome. And the second key is that not all fiber is the same. All plants contain fiber. You don't need to like only eat Jerusalem artichokes to get fiber. All plants contain fiber. They all contain unique types of fiber. And those unique types of fiber serve to feed unique species of microbes. These bacteria are picky eaters just like you and I. We have our own preferences. So do they. And so when you eat a bean, you feed certain populations of bacteria and those are not the same bacteria that you feed when you eat broccoli. So the point is to get as many different varieties of plants, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. Get those in your diet, as many varieties as possible because when you do, you're going to feed all these different populations of microbes. And when you do that, they grow stronger. And when they grow stronger, you are optimizing your gut microbiome.
1: Yeah, fiber is king, right? And it's not just fiber, as you said, it's like where you're getting your fiber from. So if it's processed fiber, you're not talking about processed fiber. You're talking about, it seems like to me and what you said, fiber from whole foods, plants, legumes, nuts, seeds, fruits, And diversity is king too, right? I think if you just eat, if you're like, all right, I'm just going to eat broccoli, blueberries, almonds, and black beans every, all day, every day, it's not going to have the same effect as if you pick 15 to 30 different foods out of those groups and kind of mix it up. Another thing that I I really respect about you is that even though yourself, you are plant-based vegan, that you don't, it's not like you're jamming it down everyone's throat as that's the only approach. Right. And that you could be vegan and not eat a ton of vegetables, eat a lot of processed foods. And the person who eats the animal products and has a diversity of of fruits and vegetables in their diet will have a healthier gut microbiome than the person who's straight, who's vegan, who doesn't follow that protocol. So talk a bit about how to get the diversity into everyone's diet for their gut microbiome and then why. You really need to pay attention to where you're getting the fiber from because I can just see, I don't want people to say, oh, fiber. And yeah, you have said plants, fruits, legumes, nuts, seeds, that sort of thing, But and the whole grains, but I don't, wouldn't want someone to go in the store and like, start looking at, at packages and boxes and it's like, oh, five grams of fiber and a thing of crackers and a thing of cookies, and they're fortified and they're artificial. And then buy that, and think that's going to solve their gut issues.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely hear you on that. Let's talk about the science for a moment here behind this, which is that there is this study called the American Gut Project. And it is the largest study to date to allow us to connect the health of our microbiome to our diet and our lifestyle. So the million dollar question, everyone knows, everyone knows, everyone agrees that diet and lifestyle is key to the health of our microbiome. And the question was, well, among diet and lifestyle things like sleeping and exercising and all these things, what is the number one factor? And when they performed their analysis, Doug, what they found was the single greatest predictor of a healthy gut microbiome was the diversity of plants in your diet. And in that study, the magic number was 30. Now, when I call it a magic number, I I wanna tell you guys, be careful. Because I'm not saying 30 is magically better than 29. What I'm saying is more is better. We need more diversity, more variety. And for me, Doug, I've never counted calories and I've lost 50 pounds. All right. I don't count grams of fiber. And yet I wrote probably the best selling book of all time about fiber. And I've never counted grams of fiber. All right. Stop counting calories. Stop counting grams of fiber. Start counting plants in your diet. And in my book, what I describe is I made it a game. And this is a game that you can play with yourself to challenge yourself. And this is a game that you can play with people that you love or with your kids and make it fun. All right. I assign points, plant points. You get one plant point for every single whole fruit, vegetable, uh, whole grain, seed, nut, legume. In your diet, if it's a real plant, if, you, if if I gave you a patch of dirt and you could grow it, then it counts as a plant point, all right. And what you want to do is you want to strive to max that out. You want to get more. When I say thirty plants in a week, that sounds very intimidating to a lot of people because they're not eating this way. And as you said, Doug, effectively what you were saying is you could eat kale all day long and be unhealthy. Because just eating kale alone is not enough and I'll take it further kale is a superfood I will take Diversity of plants Give me 10 mediocre plants And I will take that every day of the week over your superfood and I know it's healthier Because getting that variety in your diet covers all these different bases. So how do we actually do it? How do we implement this and put it into motion? To me, it's very simple I want you to make this a centerpiece of your diet. And again, as you said, Doug, it doesn't matter. I don't care whether you're vegan or paleo or keto or standard American diet. I mean, honestly, the reason why to me, it's not an all or nothing phenomenon is because I'm trying to talk to the person who was me and the person who was me in Chicago was about 5% plant-based and most of that 5% were French fries right? So I just want to see people move the needle in the right direction. And you don't need to feel pressure to be all in. You just need to move the needle. If you're 5%, you go to 30%. I'm jumping for joy. You go from 30 up to 60. I'm like right there clapping for you. And I don't care whether or not you eat meat or not. There's a lot of different ways to be healthy. So the way that you do this is you make it a centerpiece of your dietary philosophy. So you go to the supermarket, diversity of plants if you can grow it in a patch of dirt it's a plant all right you are at the salad bar you have choices what do you do well you could do what dr b does i literally get if it's a plant it goes in my salad period it's pretty simple it's just a question of how much so if i prefer onions and i don't really love i don't know gosh i love i mean i I enjoy most plants but like i wouldn't load up excessively on raw broccoli okay So I may pop more onions in there and have less raw broccoli, but I'm getting both in there, right? So more plants at the salad bar, more plants in the kitchen when you're cooking, more plants on the dinner table, and you make these choices as you go. And so as an example, we have a family smoothie in the morning. My wife will make a monster smoothie literally every day, not exaggerating, and we will share it. And the way that she makes it is usually the same recipe. Bananas, frozen bananas, by the way, it makes it thicker. Frozen bananas, blueberries, broccoli sprouts, flax seed, chia seeds, and some soy milk, organic soy milk. All right, that's our smoothie. Buzz that. And then what I do, this is literally what I did, let's see, it's 11, 17, three hours ago. What I will do is I'll pour that into a bowl and then on top goes raspberries, blackberries, strawberries, hemp seeds, walnuts. Okay. If you did the math and you can go back and, and listen from 30 seconds ago and work your way through this if you want to. If you do the math, I'm quite sure that I just listed at least 10, possibly 11 different plants. In other words, it could be Monday morning, and it's a new week, and you literally are a third of the way to your number 30 with the first meal. So it's not that hard to do. It's just a matter of saying, I want more plants. I want more diversity. I'm going to sneak it in there. I'm going to add those fresh herbs. I'm going to, I'm going to add in those berries into the smoothie. And you just look for opportunities to do that.
1: As you as you were like naming all those ingredients you put, i like, man, that's, that sounds good. I'm going to start doing that. And I'm being serious because that's one of the things that I feel even myself that I've gotten away from is doing the smoothie in the morning and loading it up with fruits, veggies, obviously ice and whatever liquid base that you choose because that's an easy way. It's an easy win, right? To get a bunch of nutrients in a short amount of time. And I think Yeah. It's like anything else. If you're starting at zero right now and you eat zero fruits and vegetables or whole grains or anything else to Dr. B listed, I wouldn't go for 30 tomorrow. I might go for two or three. Maybe you build off of that in the next few days, you get five to seven and slowly start building your way up to maybe like two months from now. Now you're hitting that 20 to 30 mark or whatever it is. Just like if you're somebody who's never run before, you don't want to go and run a marathon tomorrow, right? You want to start with walking a little bit. The walk becomes the jog, the jog becomes the run, and then you're putting some distance on that sort of thing. One of the things I I wanted to also bring up while we're on the subject of the gut microbiome and you're talking about ways to improve it, things you can do as far as the diversity of plants, staying away from processed foods. Is there a way that somebody can see how healthy their gut is? I mean, obviously if they're, having diarrhea all day, or they're having massive stomach issues, people probably think something's off. But is there any kind of markers that you use with people that you give people that you say, Hey, look, if you want to check and see where how healthy your gut microbiome, like do these couple things. All right. So
0: it's interesting. People love the idea of a test, right? right. Right. And I can't sit here and say yet that there is a test that will be able to reliably tell you how healthy your microbiome is because I have not seen adequate studies to validate the tools that are already being marketed, by the way, directly to consumers. So that's always a little bit of a red flag from my perspective is when you bypass the doctor to market directly to the consumer, that's a marketing, that's a marketing play. That's not, you're not trying to actually be rigorous with the way that you approach things. Right. So, so there's none yet that I'm completely convinced. I, I will tell you that there are some companies that I see that are doing the necessary steps, including the science. And I'm withholding any sort of endorsement until it's complete, but I, I am optimistic about what we're going to see in the near future. Okay. But that being said, you don't need a $500 test.
1: Well, I'm looking at like, if some stuff that they can do at home. Like I've seen you post graphics on like stool samples and stuff like that. Is that a good gauge for how healthy your gut is?
0: See, that's what I was going to say is that yeah. it's literally your poop. Yeah. It's literally your poop. And we pooped. I mean- we ignore the single greatest window into the health of our microbiome and i'm sitting here and i'm like look i know that it's like
1: we're not supposed to talk about poop right what's well, know- funny we talk about urine when you're dehydrated what's the, one of the things people say like how what's your what's the color of your urine look like is it clear is it stink is it is it give up like, a weird odor you might know, you might be dehydrated but yet when it comes to poop we're like don't say poop but no let's get into it because i think it's i think people like you said they like a test and i'm not saying people have to go out and buy something but i think people in order to know where they're going they have to find out where they are and they're like all right well how do i know if my gut's healthy or not maybe I, i i think i eat a lot of fruits and vegetables but i really don't know and i think with the way you talk about this the stool sampling in your in your home is a great place for people to start
0: yeah. Well, I mean, so first of all, let me say I'm the polar opposite. Maybe this is because I talk about poop literally all day for a living, <laughs> but like you talk about, you mentioned urine and stinky urine and I'm like, bro, come on, man. <laughs> all right. And then you can talk about a bowel movement. And I'm like, okay, where do we start? <laughs> so I, the, the thing that's interesting is that when we start with this, that your bowel movement is not just the excrement or the waste from the food that you ate. We kind of believe that it is. It's not true your bowel movement is actually predominantly made up of your gut microbes. 70% of the weight of your stool, 70% comes from your microbiome. So this is a picture of what's happening with your microbiome. And there are many different ways that you could evaluate your stool. That's kind of funny. Actually, I have a course that I teach called the plant fed gut online course, and it's seven weeks. And I dedicated an entire week to talking about bowel movements but to give you the quiff notes version of what we talk about in there you could look at the color you could you could look at the experience of how you feel when you're actually having the bowel movement and all of these things are relevant but to me perhaps the most important part is the form the shape and if you're listening to this now pull up your computer and type into google bristol stool chart b-r-i-s-t-o-l bristol stool chart and what you're going to find is that someone with the last name bristol god bless them for blessing the world with this someone named bristol has decided to describe seven different types of bowel movements all right and they vary from type one to type seven type one is constipation it's a rabbit pellet all right it's a little nugget it's a turd That's a type one bowel movement. That's constipation. And you can move up the Bristol stool scale all the way to number seven. And number seven is an explosive watery bowel movement. And we have all the different shapes and forms that exist in between. Well, if you simply look at your bowel movement and you compare it to the Bristol stool scale, it can provide you with some insights into the health of your personal microbiome. And the goal is to have a type four bob movement i describe these as like a, a glorious doves flying through the air radiant light shining down from the sky a glorious bow movement that's what we want that's a type four and it is shaped like a sausage it is soft but formed it is easy to evacuate it feels natural you feel like you completely empty and there's actually a bliss element like Let's just be honest. It feels good. It feels good to have a good bowel movement, right? That's the way that nature is supposed to be. And when our gut microbiome is in alignment, that is a general description of the experience that you should have when you're having your bowel movement. On the flip side, if it is hard, lumpy, bumpy, difficult to get out, you don't feel like you're completely emptying, you have a ton of gas and bloating nausea you get full very quickly many times abdominal discomfort i'm describing constipation and on the flip side you could have explosive watery urgent bowel movements and that's obviously diarrhea and so so the point being that by simply looking at the form of the stool by simply looking at your bowel movement you can get insight into the health of your gut microbiome because 70 percent of the weight of your stool comes from these microbes
1: Wow, I'm pooped after listening to that. No, I'm half. <laughs> half I'm half kidding. It's interesting and it's really fascinating because you used to say as a here as a kid that if there's like food, oh, a bunch of undigested food in your stool and you have diarrhea and stuff like that, that you were maybe getting kind of sick. But I think as adults, we kind of forget that, right? We kind of like oh, we're just going to the bathroom, and as long as we're going to the bathroom, it's okay. But really, maybe alongside having these crazy bowel movements we're also experiencing things like fatigue depression sleeps off maybe we have a cold and we, we don't really realize that if 70% of our immune system is in our gut 50% of our dopamine 90% of our serotonin and we're having all these other mental issues that are going alongside that and some other other ones physically that like maybe it's time to reassess what we're putting into our body from a nutritional perspective And being proactive and saying, okay, like I'm going to do whatever I can so I don't end up in the doctor's office where I'm having to have something drastic happen where I'm ending up on blood pressure medication or I'm ending up on some sort of laxative that I have to take because there's so much blockage in my colon or whatever the case may be. How do you feel about like things like probiotics, kombucha, kimchi, that sort of thing? Is it as healthy for the gut as people say, or what do you think on that? so I'm a fan
0: all right I'm a fan. The level of evidence that we have in favor of these foods is not as robust as I would like it to be. Basically, what I'm saying is we need more research mm. all right, but that being said, what what we do know is that literally every. Culture in human history had these foods, fermented foods, as part of their tradition. And we're the first to give it up. I mean, basically, we're like, okay, we got canning, we got preservatives, right? We don't really need this anymore. And we dropped them. They're delicious. They have a vibrant color. They can cut through other flavors, right? Like, think about how a wine pairs with stuff. I mean, wine is obviously a fermented food think about that but also think about like kimchi and and sauerkraut and it, that does the exact same thing when you pair it properly with a meal fermentation is transformation so what you do is you start with say cabbage and you put it under water in a salt water solution and you are transforming it you are transforming the fiber you are unlocking vitamins that you would not normally get access to you are creating new phytochemicals and you are enhancing the growth of the healthy bacteria and so on the back end when you're done transforming your food you have sauerkraut and it tastes differently but also you've enhanced the nutritional profile of it which is quite amazing because cabbage is already very healthy so i do think that fermented foods can be helpful But at the end of the day, we are living in a period of time where we are personally overfed, but we are each individually wildly undernourished because we're not feeding these microbes. And so I want to say, okay, go ahead and add fermented food. And I think you should, but that
1: alone is not going to be enough. Right. I think the important point for people to, to get out of this and to remember is that just like you said with supplements they can enhance your diet and your health but they can't they're not going to make or break it or replace the from they're not going to be able to replace the foods that you're not taking in right i think you, you like you said you still need the biodiversity of plants and then adding in like things like kombucha kimchi fermented foods having a probiotic supplement whatever it is will be great but it can't just be just that right like you said you'd love to be able to take a C minus gut and just throw it some supplements and some kombucha and be like, boom, it's going to be an A plus, but it's not reality. Just like anything else, there's no magic pill. One of the things that I I heard you talk about previously, and I think you said you wish you talked about it more in the book, is the effect on trauma in the gut, and that you're normally you're like the what, the fifth or sixth person I think people come to with gut issues. And what you're finding is a lot of the people who have severe gut injuries and trouble with their health have people who have experienced all forms of different forms of trauma so get into that a little bit and how, why you think the two are intertwined is it because of the stress response or is it something different
0: yeah i think that there is this subconscious part of who we are as human that is not at the surface but it can be wounded just like we can have a battle wound on the surface on our body and so that subconscious can be wounded by experience by trauma whether it be, you know, physical, sexual, uh, emotional, psychological, and those things live with us. It's not fair because many times, most of the time you're the victim, but you, you carry that forward during your life. And it's this battle wound that is to your subconscious that if it's not healed, it continues to manifest in negative ways in your life including in terms of your gut health. And what I have found in my clinic, and you alluded to this, Doug, that the most challenging patients to heal are the people who have been the victims of abuse. And they can do everything right. They could do everything that I say in my book. Eat the right way, sleep, exercise, spend time outdoors, do everything right and not heal because it's not just diet and lifestyle you have to you have to heal the battle wound from the trauma that you have and so it requires attention it requires attention we have to turn our attention towards it and we have to acknowledge that it exists and we have to develop a plan for how we're going to address this specific issue and when you heal that battle wound what you find is that all of a sudden these people just explode with health they just explode in terms of moving to a better place because they're doing everything right their body is ready to go it's ready to heal but it just requires going after the root of the problem which is this battle wound to the subconscious from prior trauma or abuse and i would include in there by the way doug going beyond just like trauma in a traditional interpretation of that word, I would go beyond that to also include disordered eating patterns, anorexia, bulimia, orthorexia. There's many different forms of disordered eating. It's a spectrum. If you have grown to have stress or fear surrounding your food, then there is an element of disordered eating that has set in. And the problem is that it is a pattern that is not easy to break. And these things, whether it be disordered eating or trauma, I I sincerely believe this. My patients live with them every single day, right? You can't just say, I'm going to turn it off. It doesn't exist. When you ignore it and you say it doesn't exist, then you're not really addressing it. And that wound festers. So, From my perspective, this is what I've seen in my clinic: is that the most difficult people to heal are the ones that this is the problem, and the reason why they're difficult is not that it's difficult to fix the wound; they're difficult because you have to bring attention to this thing that no one wants to bring attention to.
1: Yeah, it's like the the scary thing in the room that no one wants to look at, right? It's the 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 deep. Rooted wound, and you're getting to the root cause of a lot of health issues. Right, it stems from something internally. I think a lot of times our life externally is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves internally. Right, and a lot of that is from obviously things where we were the victim of of abuse and things like that that you just described. And in other cases, it's things that we've done to ourselves and. And so I think you're right. I think a lot of people, the reason that they pro- they probably aren't able to heal their gut is because they're only looking at, at the issue, the surface level issue of, okay, I'm going to eat the plants. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And they start for like a week or two and then their subconscious, their patterning it kind of brings them back down. They end up self-sabotaging and going back to their old ways because of their patterning. So do you end up uh, collaborating with different therapists, psychologists, or do you kind of use a little bit of your background from your early schooling to kind of help them with that part of their life?
0: So I, I believe in a team approach to healthcare period, independent right. of whether it's the type of patient that we're talking about directly. I, I'm also a huge believer in involving registered dietitians in the care of my patients. So like, I don't go at it alone. I build a team and my, our team is there for you. And so, and that, that would be true as well when it comes to these people who have been the victim of trauma and abuse. I, I don't personally become their, their psychologist, but we get them hooked up with a good psychologist. Perhaps there's a psychiatrist. We build a team so that we can get you fixed in the same, in the same way that you would if, if you were diagnosed with cancer, you get your oncology team together. Same thing. Mm,
1: that's good. And, and I think it's awesome that you again, it's just very authentic of you to say, you know what, like I don't know everything. A lot of this is probably out of my scope of my current practice. Let's bring on a team to not only help them, but to help yourself. Maybe you're, you're learning along the way and you're able to kind of stick to what you best. And that's the gut to be able to really hammer home, you know, that point with your, with your patients that you see. And I think it's commendable that you actually do the work to really get deeper in your with your patients and in their health and it's not just like oh here take this pill here's a prescription for this just take some gas X. I i mean whatever the case is you're like all right let's really address where this is all coming from like why did this disordered eating start like where did this all come from why are you making these poor food choices and a lot of times, like you said, it's because they they're struggling mentally, they're struggling internally, and their poor ch- food choices are aligned with how they're feeling about themselves inside, right? So once you're able to address that, I think it makes I don't want to say it makes your job easier, but it I think I would think it makes everything run more efficiently. And the one other thing I wanted to talk about before we kind of wrap up is we talked about this notion of how if you have these trauma and these things going on internally. It's kind of contagious and goes throughout the rest of your body, right? And it can show up physically. Is that the same when it comes to inflammation? So if you're if you're having inflammation in the in the gut, is it as contagious where you'll start to feel inflammation in in your muscles and aches and pains? Have you seen that correlation as well? You will see that in some
0: in some cases, not all cases. And I think the key here is this. There's this idea that we talked about with the brain gut axis. Okay. And This is the, the space of the connection between the gut and the brain that where we know so much because we've been studying it for more than 10 years now, but every week there are papers that are coming out, being published, showing us the ways in which the gut is connected to everything in the body. And it makes so much sense that the food that we eat is not just calories, not just macros, And even not just micronutrients, that the food that we eat gets broken down, processed by these microbes, transformed into something that's unique to us. The way that we interact with our food is unique to us and then has effects throughout literally the entire body. And so it makes sense that the gut is really connected to everything for the the sake of simplicity, because as humans, we're linear thinkers, It's hard for us to take in complex concepts we we like it to be if a causes b then therefore you do this but that's not the way the body works it's all intertwined the gut is not separate from the brain the gut is not separate from the liver or from the heart or from the immune system they're connected together and they're dynamically changing with each other just like the way the water moves in the ocean
1: yeah, I mean, you're, you're so right. And I think people really need to take home if, if they don't take anything else. I mean, obviously, people should really pay attention to what you said about what to do to heal the gut and the microbiome in the context of preventing your chances of getting COVID-19. And if you do get COVID-19, it being a little bit less severe because your immune system's stronger. And then on top of that, improving your immune system as we get through this pandemic and improving your, your stress levels, mental health, all that, but also to remember that it's not like our bodies run in silos. Everything's intertwined, right? Like our brain regulates and controls our body. As I've recently learned through my own research and interviewing a recent neuroscientist. And then also what you're saying is that like our our gut is the same thing. Our gut is the second brain that regulates everything else and it's all intertwined. And I think, just because of past research and maybe just the way we, we think is logical, like A plus B equals C. It's like, okay, we have our brain and it's just responsible for this part. And we have our guts responsible for this part. It's like, no, everything works together. So if one thing is off, it's going to throw everything else off. And I mean, your knowledge, man, you're very, I love how, not only just how smart and knowledgeable you are, but you make it so simple. You make it so easy for people to understand so that when they're listening to something like this, it's like, oh, like this doesn't feel too over my head because I know there's a lot of times where people listen to people in the medical field and they if they have a hard time, I think, relating sometimes. Like, wow, I don't understand this term. What did he say there? What did she mean by that? And they like, it doesn't really hit home with them as much as it would where you're like, all right, let's play a game with vegetables. Let me give you a number to shoot for. Let me just have you go look at, the, at your poop. Like that's relatable, right? Because we all are able to do these, these few things that we can take these little nuggets and say, okay, like I'm starting at square one right now. I'm eating like Hot Pockets, pizza, cookies. Maybe tomorrow I'll just take Dr. B's advice and I'll go pick up a salad and maybe I'll put like a bunch of crap in there, but I'll probably, I'll try to add in two or three vegetables. And then the next time that becomes four or five, And then sure enough, you're, you're this same person is bragging to their friends. Like, oh my gosh, I learned this trick that I can go to a salad bar. And the only thing I have to do is just focus on putting vegetables in there. And and that you don't you're not saying like, okay, like just go get carrots because they have this, and then get kale because it has this, like just eat a variety. So I really wanted to thank you for coming on. I definitely encourage people to go pick up your book, Fiber Fueled. Not only is do you put it in such easy context for people to read, it's it's very well done and it's inspiring. Everything that you've overcome in your with yourself and your own health to now being able to share the nuggets with everyone else. So I just wanted to to commend you and thank you for coming on once again. Uh, Doug, thank you, man. I'm like ready to float on out of here, but I
0: appreciate it. I I just think that at the end of the day, we all have our own personal journey and experience that brings us to where we are. Right. And it's just kind of interesting for me to think, I never thought that I would be an author. I don't think of myself as an author. I think of myself as a doctor, as a healer, as a teacher, right? And this is just my way of expressing sort of that organic soul. This is who I am, and this is my way of expressing it. And so it's it's nice to be able to come on and talk to someone like you. And I appreciate you and your listeners taking the time to listen. And if you guys want to connect with me, I love connecting. Come find me on Instagram as the Gut Health MD. You can go to my website, theplantfedgut.com where I have an email list that people seem to really enjoy. Because basically what I do is when there's like a breaking news or cutting edge study about the gut microbiome, I don't put it on Instagram because I got too much to say and it just won't fit. So I send it to my email list and I break down cutting edge studies on my email list. And so, yeah, so my email list is there and information about my course, the Plant Fed Gut Online course. If anyone's interested, you can definitely check that out. Um, we're going to be starting that up. It's a seven week course and we start on January 4th for the next round. And I'm super excited because we've actually done it. So I, I beta tested it twice and then I launched it in September of this year and with amazing results. So it's been really exciting to see how it plays out.
1: Amazing, man. Well, I, I cannot wait to share all of this with the audience. They're going to get a lot out of this. I will be sure to include links For your book your social media your website and the course in the show notes and i just want to invite people as they're listening to this or after they maybe listen to this once to go back and and just go through it as i always kind of advise y'all to do because when you're driving and or you're you know doing dishes or however you consume your content you're not always paying attention to everything that's said i know sometimes for me personally i go back and listen to episodes several times because chances are there's some things I missed the first time around. And maybe I go back when I have some more time and I take notes, which I encourage you all to do, especially with today's episode, which is incredibly important with the times we're facing right now during the pandemic, during times where immunity is king. Immunity is king right now. 70% of our immune system is in our gut. So now more than ever, we really, really, really need to be paying attention to our gut microbiome and how we're treating our bodies, how we're being proactive about our health. So what I want y'all to do is if you really enjoyed this episode, maybe take a screenshot of of the episode of you listening, tag myself, tag Dr. B with a few of your takeaways or your biggest takeaway. Maybe it was something he said about the diversity of plants. Maybe it was something he said about the poop. Maybe it was something that he said about how it relates to, to stress. Whatever it is, screenshot it, tag myself, tag Dr. B. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your feedback. And once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.